space. Reality. It's more than a linear path. It's a prism of endless possibility. Where a single choice can branch out into infinite realities. Creating alternate worlds from the ones you know. I am the Watcher. I am your guide through these vast new realities. Follow me and ponder the question. Hello there, true believers. This is Thomas Malik with the Tomb of Ideas podcast, here to talk about that rumbling you feel in the multiverse. It is Th- the Hello. time quake. Thomas. Hello. Yes. Thomas. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? It's our show. Yeah. There's been a 12.8 time quake on the Simon Walt scale, and I'm just coming into work. I'm on the Tomb of Ideas. Are you like, like, because <laughs> so, like, for one thing, the, our listeners are called tomb believers, at, at um, least in our reality. Believers. I see. Well, oh, God, this is a, this is a multiverse thing, then. Yeah, I, I think we have a, a variant situation here. Is that oh, an expression geez. that Stan Lee invented when he took over editing duties from Roy Thomas? <laughs> uh, oh, oh, God. <laughs> oh, good. Okay, um, well, you know me, don't you? I'm James Hickson. Okay. Right, and, and I'm Trey Lawson. And usually this is our show, The Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel horror podcast, where we take a bi-weekly look at the darker corners of the Marvel Universe. Right, um, right. I have a, a separate podcast called Tomb of Ideas, and it's about uh, big comics crossovers from the 90s that people don't talk about enough. I mean... That, that's not we, that different. We, we, we like those too. Yeah. Yeah, we, we, okay. we do like those. And in yeah, fact, it sounds, it sounds like are, the stars have aligned. We are in the midst of one such early 90s storyline, the, the what if crossover event time quake. Right, which is actually a multiversal thing in itself. Last we left off on the show, the timekeeper, well, the, the watcher had confronted the timekeepers about the fact that they were basically attempting to kill nexus beings across the multiverse including the previous issue that we talked about which was what if volume two number 35 in which franklin richards was the nexus being of the fantastic five reality and of course spider-man reed richards ben grimm the human torch were able to save Frank Richards is not reality with the aid of Dr. Doom. But of course, what the heroes didn't realize is that last minute, a seemingly doomed, uh, see what I did there, Dr. Doom <laughs> was rescued by a mysterious cloak figure called the Whisperer. Right. However, no one was on hand to save the Watcher from the ice burn of the Keepers calling him a child in a corner who may now watch everything play out. Oh, you read the issue too. <laughs> yes. Oh, oh, that's convenient. Yeah. Well, how about this? Yeah. Uh, let me go, go. Let me go down the list and tell me if you've read this issue. Okay. Okay. Uh, all right. Let's see. 
what if volume two number 36 what if are you talking about the one with commander america with the galactic shoulder pads yes yeah it's 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 what if the cosmic avengers and the guardians of the galaxy battled each other right and what about okay so you've read that one what about okay what about the next issue issues 37 what if wolverine had been lord of the vampires during inferno Ooh. That one, I think, is labeled in my galaxy as what if Wolverine had three supernatural girlfriends who were (laughs) functionally the same person and also they fought Dormammu. (laughs) Okay, close enough. Um, Yeah, that that probably has a similar similar story arc. Yes. Okay. Like, what's the cover art for that? Look, is it just a wall of text (laughs) on the cover? Like, that's weird. mm. Okay. Okay. Hold on. This will be, I think, the real test. What if Volume Two, and we like, in our reality we call it Volume Two. I think in other realities they call it What dot What if dot 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 question mark. But that's as previously established in other episodes. Bullshit. Okay. What if number Volume Two, number thirty eight. What if Thor had been a thrall of Seth? Now this is not Seth from the Street Fighter series of video no. games. No, and neither oh, that would be that would be pretty cool. <laughs> and neither, I should point out, is it Seth Green or Seth MacFarlane? Right, right. And this Seth also is not in any pantheon of great characters. He is... He's an Egyptian god. guy. Yeah, Egyptian. Yeah. Ah, He's ah, an Egyptian Okay, dead. that's right, that's right. Dresses yeah, sort of like maybe he used to hang out in like Cobra Law. <laughs> uh, he definitely looks like he got his ass kicked by G.I. Joe at some point. Right. Uh, <laughs> and uh, lastly... Uh, there's what if volume two issue 39 what if the watcher saved the universe see now i have it under the subtitle what if this ip could be mined by disney plus <laughs> that also is accurate i i think we could work with that <laughs> okay wow your 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 universe is roy thomas is much more forward thinking than ours <laughs> <laughs> wow we know the score in our universe <laughs> Wow. Um, okay. Well, well, in that case, I think we're good to go. It sounds like we're yeah. we're on the same page. So let's maybe take a break, and when we come back, we will get into what if Volume Two, Number Thirty Six. What if the Cosmic Avengers battled the Guardians of the Galaxy? Justice League International, Bwahaha Podcast, a monthly show chronicling the adventures of the JLI era by Keith Giffen and J.M. DeMatteis. We started with the very first issue, and our coverage goes all the way through breakdowns. We're going issue by issue in release order, tackling two comics per episode, both a Justice League America issue and a Justice League Europe issue. Now, along the way, we're also taking time out for special episodes covering the quarterly book, interviews with various comic book creators, discussing the plethora of spin-off series, cartoon appearances, the infamous TV pilot, and more. And when we're all done, we'll wrap up our coverage by looking at the 2003 and 2005 stories, formerly known as the Justice League, and I can't believe it's not the Justice League. So join me in an ever-changing roster of guest hosts as we celebrate your favorite JLI members, such as... Batman. Martian Manhunter. Captain Atom. Fire. Ice. Rocket Red. The Flash. The Elongated Man. Maxwell Lord. Elrond. Power Girl. Renard de Rousse. I mean, Crimson Fox. Guy Gardner. Metamorpho. Booster Gold. Blue Beetle. Nort! Justice League International Bwahaha Podcast. Part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Want to make something of it? Justice League International. 
class. It's a fog milk cap invasion. Milk cap sightings are pouring in by the thousands. The cause is anyone's guess. It's the official World Plug Federation milk cap maker. For the first time ever, you can make your own milk caps. It's cool because it's totally easy. Just load in the picture, line it up, twist, and bam! Make the world's biggest, coolest collection. It's a pot milk cap invasion. And in the weather. The official World Pot Federation milk cap maker from Cap Toys. Who else? Welcome back, Tomb Believers, to the Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel Horror Podcast. Our next issue this episode is What If Volume 2, number 36. What if the Cosmic Avengers battled the Guardians of the Galaxy? Cover a date on this one is April 1992. In fact, it was published April 1st, 1992. The writer on this one is Jean-Marc Lafissiere and Roy Thomas. Penciler is Dave Hoover. Inker is Ian Aiken. Other inker, there's two inkers. Mike Bayer. Colors is Renee Weirstatter. Yep. And letter is Janice Chang. And first off, this is a return to the issue that we previously saw in What If Volume 2, 19. What if the vision of the Avengers had conquered the world? And of course, if you listeners to our last issue, you'll remember this was the first story in that comic, one where it was the good ending. Right, uh, benevolent dictatorship, not ruthless yeah, conqueror. Exactly. And of course, that gave us the Cosmic Avengers, who, as Thomas, you pointed out earlier, Includes Commander America, Gene the Gamazon, the Tachyon Torch, the Iron Droid, and Thor. When we open up this issue, we have the Watcher chewing out the timekeepers, basically, saying, like, well, you failed in your first attempt. Hey, let's recap the whole what's the, the heck's going on here. Because if you were anything like me in the 90s, you didn't, like, buy What If on a regular basis. You bought it if the cover was cool. Yeah, you bought What If if the cover was cool. For example, let's say it's the Cosmic Avengers. You'd buy that. Let's say it was Vampire Wolverine. You'd buy that. Let's say it's <laughs> Thor battling snake people that are rejected from G.I. Joe. Ooh, what are the X-Men doing this month? Like, <laughs> So anyway, they're recapping what's going on with Mortis. They previously had tried to use a Mortis to kidnap Nexus beings of reality. He fetishized Scarlet Witch, as people are prone to do. Please check the internet if you don't believe me. And then uh, they exiled him to Limbo. You know, that dimension he controls. <laughs> that That's going to go awesome. Anyway, they then revealed that they are aiming for another reality. And, of course, that is the one where the Vision conquer the world and at place host to the Cosmic Avengers. Thor has gone back to Asgard, apparently. And so it is now just Commander America, a new iron droid, because the previous employee of Stark Intergalactic that was in the previous issue died at the end of that issue. But not that it really matters, considering we don't ever see the face of either of them. Right. And, of course, the Tachyon Torch and Jin the Gamazon. And Starhawk's gone, too. He was there last time. Oh, that's right. Starhawk. I, I, I forget Guardians of the Galaxy unless their name's Rocket. I'm sorry. Yes, yes. I have a question about the Gamazon. Okay. Are there any incarnations of her where her stomach has armor? Or 
some sort of covering. No, not really. To her credit, to her credit, it at least makes sense why she might wear a costume like this. Because, you know, she's gamma-empowered, so her skin is basically bulletproof, maybe laser-proof, I'm not sure what the intensity of lasers are going with here. Are we talking, like, disruptors or phasers? Right. Um, but, like, at least it makes sense for her. Not Now, if she's, like, say, a street-level character who in an alternate reality was the daughter of Batman and Catwoman and is 100% <laughs> human, and she's going around beating up street gangs with an exposed stomach. Gee, I don't know. That would have made much sense to me. It does raise a few questions when she's, like exposed to the vacuum of space though again i'm assuming that's gamma the gamma radiated skin just being super super tough sure fair enough much like commander america's shoulder pads right right uh, of course i also would would question the torch being able to ignite himself in the vacuum of space but i mean those that isn't that isn't fire tray those are tachyons right right which Again, from Star Everything Trek I know me. about tachyons I learned from Star Trek Voyager. Yeah, it's about to say tachyon, please <laughs> believe he can time travel. <laughs> he should be able to time travel. Anyway, or cloak. Right. There you go. Yeah. So the timekeepers reveal that they have chosen for their agent in this reality a version of Korvac, who, if you don't know, is a Badoon altered scientist from the 31st century who went back in time to 20th century, absorbed some of the powers of Galactus, and led to perhaps one of the best Avengers stories ever, the Korvac Saga. Fantastic storyline, one of the classic Avengers things. But this is a pre-Korvac Saga version of Dom Korvac, and instead of heading to the 20th century, the timekeepers divert him to the 22nd century, specifically the year 21... 21... 50? 30. 30. The text is blurry. Yeah, looks like 30. The text is blurry on Marvel Unlimited. Marvel. I'm just saying. (laughs) Come on. You're a premium comics service. So maybe fix that. And the timekeepers divert him to the year 2130, which I think is five years after the issue we previously read. I think the previous one was 2125. (laughs) And of course, he finds out that the vision is in charge of reality. And he's like, okay, well, I, I, I'm willing to take that gig. And so he hijacks a scroll ship. Well, first he goes back to his home era, hypnotizes his versions of the Guardians of the Galaxy as his little minions. And then he hijacks a scroll ship to make it where the Cosmic Avengers will pursue him. And when they aboard the ship, he traps them with the help of the hypnotized Guardians. He then hypnotizes them to be his further minions. He then uses them to infiltrate one of the moons of Mars. Yeah, it's Mars. Yeah. Which moon of yeah. Mars? De- Demos. Demos, yeah. which has, which is now the home of, I guess, the Central Vision mainframe, which I guess is a bit early for the Europa Plantation shipyards. But from there, basically, they use the Cosmic Avengers as, as a Trojan horse to get into the mainframe. But once they do so. There's a big old fighty fight with a bunch of soldiers probably ending up white dead at the hands of the Cosmic Avengers. Korvac enters the main chamber of the Vision, which conveniently has a large plug shaped exactly like the little dongle at the end of his uh, floating computer thing. So he plugs himself in, 
and they have you know the equivalent of one of those astral plane fights that Doctor Strange and Magneto or like Shadow King used to have, or and like Doctor Professor X used to have in comics. And so there's some fighty fight between them. Meanwhile, a sub program goes and warns the citizens of Earth that I am under attack. And so John Fury Sr., who is the head of Earth Defenses, sends his son, Captain John Fury Jr. Nepo um, baby. Yeah. <laughs> also, John Fury does not look old enough to have a son the age of John Fury Jr., which only right. leads me to believe that future medicine is awesome and <laughs> and probably universal. Yeah. Vision yeah. would have made sure of that. Oh, yeah. 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 Skincare yeah. routines, at least. There you go. So, of course, John Fury Jr. has taken on many aspects of one of his famous ancestors, of course, that being Nick Fury, up to and including a fake eye patch. That he can see through. Yeah. That's just stupid. I'm sorry. Like, I get it. Go ahead. Well, no, we'll get into it. But the the cleverer thing would have been for him to have, like, some sort of high-tech scope or something over one eye that evokes the eye patch. Yeah, at least explain to us, like, there's a a high-tech, like, UI user interface there. Right. Instead of just a fake eye patch. It's just a fake eye patch that I'm pretty sure he got from a box of 22nd century cereal. So... John Fury and his generic commandos fight the Cosmic Avengers. He is briefly drawn out his drawn into the astral plane by the Whisperer, not something you have to see for a Fury, who explains to him that the Cosmic Avengers are actually being hypnotized. Which did he really need a Whisperer for that? I feel like he should have been able to figure that part out on his own. But realizing that the Cosmic Avengers are hypnotized, when returned to his body, he turns on his gun's ultrasonic mode and uses that to knock the Cosmic Avengers out of their stupor. They then have some fighty fight with the Guardians of the Galaxy, who are still being mesmerized before John Fury turns up the, the, the volume, I guess, and knocks the Guardians of the Galaxy out of their stupor as well. Unfortunately... That has given Korvac enough time to supplant the vision in the mainframe of the computer. There's some fighty fight with some Korvac-controlled robots before Iron Droid gets the idea to basically hotwire Korvac's old body to feed a opposing version of Korvac's own psyche back at him, and the two cancel each other out like waves. But alas... Just go ahead and say what he reverses the polarity. He reverses the polarity of the neutron flow. It it happens. But it's too late for Vision, who has succumbed to his injuries from the battle. And so the timekeepers were successful. And so this reality may indeed be doomed. We don't see because we will never see this reality again. Um, but but unseen by the timekeepers, the Iron Droid is taken out of reality by the Whisperer, much like Doctor Doom in our previous issue, for unknown reasons. Now we talked about how my universe's version of how Marvel properties evolves was very forward thinking. This was actually adapted before the Disney Plus What If series into a pair of live action films called Now You See Me. Uh, <laughs> 
uh, movies about <laughs> magicians who can quite suddenly hypnotize anybody into doing whatever they want. <laughs> I will uh. say you, you've mentioned uh, Commander America's shoulder pads. I think his look is best when he also has the space helmet. I actually yeah. think he looks better with the space helmet on in that he kind of looks like a variant action figure. Yes. Like he would be like the third or fourth Captain America action figure in the line. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing wrong with accessorizing. I kind of like the idea that, yeah, it's where the, it's where the space helmet snaps on. They just need something to visually separate him from Captain America. So, you know, okay, if you're looking at the issue, like the cover, you're like, okay, wait a minute. Something's different here. Right. Right. Um, the same we, we mentioned it last time, Iron Droid having the gears on his shoulders. Like it's just different enough that that you know you're somewhere other than six one six. I love those gears so much. They're just such a nice little visual accent. Yep. And I mean good enough that they got reused for Iron Man twenty twenty. Well he came first. Oh did he? You're right, he did. Yeah, yeah. he was around in the seventies. That's right. Yeah. And I think Roy just liked it enough. You're like, yeah, let's keep that. And Sorry, I mean, say what you will about her look, but Gamazon is a better name than She-Hulk. It is. It, it, <laughs> it really is. To the point where if they wanted to, you know, amalgam the two universes again, I could easily see like a She-Hulk Wonder Woman amalgam yeah. called Gamazon. Yeah. But it, it's a fun issue. It really is. Despite how kind of a lame villain Korvac is here. Because Korvac I, really I doesn't... Don't, I don't know much about Korvac, but... What I can take from this issue and this issue alone is that he's a little bit like post-crisis DC Brainiac, except he's a torso that's sticking out of the top of a Super Nintendo. <laughs> to be fair, Horvat doesn't get cool until he becomes Michael in the 70s. Right, right. which is what and this issue disrupted. Yes, exactly. He They stopped that. But... Yeah, he's kind of a lame as a, you know, a half man, half cyborg centaur thing. Yeah. So what did what do you think of this one, Thomas? Because it's a weird one. It I feel like in, in a lot of sci fi comics, you have to ask, like, is this and like Marvel DC sci fi comics? You have to be like, is this in an era where what was the nearest thing they were hooking on to with this idea? Because sometimes you see like, here's Sergeant Rock in space and a bunch <laughs> of soldiers going after stuff this one with the guardians hooked up to it it feels i don't know like with that early 90s feeling like you made that comparison with like connected to a super nintendo <laughs> it well, feels it, it would, very much like go ahead it would only would have been like 60 years separated from 2099 so like if we were like comparing it to like the modern the marvel age of the era like 2099 Spider-Man would have been like Captain America for people in the Marvel age. I mean, is that making sense to anybody besides me? <laughs> like it, it, there's only like a 60 year separation between 2099 and this era that this is supposedly taking place in. Right. And, and the 2099 comics started in 1992. Yeah. So, so this was a point where Marvel was sort of imagining possible futures. Right. And there's a, there's that Spider-Man who has multiple limbs and the helmet. I can't remember what year he's from. Uh, he's later. He's 22 or 23 something. But uh, it was neat seeing Yondu with like a quill full of arrows. Oh, right. Uh, right. Speaking of someone who's read very few Guardians uh, comics that were from pre, you know, the movie adaptations. 
having read a good bit of their original run, the movie version is better. <laughs> yeah. It, it did feel to me like, because I was like, oh, the Guardians are going to show up. What's that going to be like? And it didn't feel <laughs> terribly eventful to me. It just felt like a bunch of, bunch of folks <laughs> who just happened yeah. to be in space. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that Marvel ever really knew what to do with the Guardians of the Galaxy because they they're sort of off in their own timeline. You can team them up with the Avengers through time travel, but when you do... It, it it just I don't know. Then you have one team of characters that people feel deeply about, and another team of characters that people mostly just don't know. Yeah, yeah. Um, you could have called it, this like, "What if the Galactic Avengers had to step over the Guardians of the Galaxy, <laughs> right, <laughs> and win the day for them?" Like, I think Roy Thomas had this fascination with like putting Nick Fury in space too, because as we talked about, there is a what if issue. Where what if Nick Fury and his Howling Commandos had fought World War II in space? Right. I, I definitely yes. thought I, of I, 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 I that thought of mind. that issue yeah. in this moment. Yeah. Which mm-hmm. they don't even make the like any kind of like effort to have a divergent point there. It's just right. we're telling a Howling Commando story, it's in space, get with it. Yep. Like yep. it isn't a descendant <laughs> of Nick Fury. It is Nick Fury. Right. Um, so there's that. And again, the Cosmic Avengers is fun for the fact that, you know, that how they're different from their counterparts. I do feel like there should have been additional Cosmic Avengers showing up in the story. Mm. Like, let me see this era's version of Falcon. Let me see this era's version of Hawkeye. Or let- even, okay, Thor went back to Asgard or whatever. What's Hercules up to? Yeah. Yeah. Like, who else is on this roster? Is it because we already saw these characters? Give us right. more. Right. Like, that's the thing is if two members had left the team, if this was the regular Avengers, they would have recruited some new members. That's exactly. what the Avengers did. Yeah. What does the Ant Man of the 22nd century look like? Right. Right. I, I want to know. <laughs> what kind of um, snakes is Seth summoning in space? <laughs> Oh God, Seth. Oh, we'll get uh, we'll get to Seth. We'll get we'll get, we'll get to Seth. <laughs> Don't worry, we'll get to yeah. Seth. Um, but it it's a fun issue. It really is. um like they put the little time quake thing very much at the end, like that last panel and then their end. Yep. There's no like yep. little decompression between the watcher and timekeepers there. It's like, oh shit, we're on the last page. End. It's a it's a fine addition to the story. It doesn't feel like filler. It doesn't feel like filler for the crossover. And it also helps that this one doesn't go the way the Watcher wants. You know, it's not just a repeat of the first one where and the Whisperer fixes things before the end of the issue. Exactly. And so it it gives us the the idea that, yes, this crossover, what the the stuff the timekeepers are doing has stakes. Mm -hmm. And it does it without having to resort to, say, like, child death by killing Franklin Richards in the previous issue. Right. Right. I think and it's also, a good call. And also that Iron Droid is the one who's pulled out of the time stream. Iron Droid is not the one that the Whisperer used as a proxy earlier in the issue. And so now there's this bigger mystery about the how and why of who is getting picked to, to leave these timelines. Yeah. Again, I think part of it is that Iron Droid just looks cool. <laughs> yes. Yes. And it is neat to see how you know, because it's 1980, we're in the early 90s. So pre-Bendis, pre-Fraction, 
pre who would you say is like one of the big modern pre i mean tom king has had an effect certainly in the past yeah, several pre, years pre pre hickman for sure oh pre hickman there's yeah this feeling already in the 90s of like there's a rhythm to these issues and it feels so much like a classic marvel comic but like we've already gone through the 80s like there is a modern mm-hmm. movement that's dominating at this time. And so to feel like this is already a time capsule inside of a time capsule to read this in 2024 now. And, mm. and that Roy, Roy Thomas was such a late silver, early bronze age figure already. Like right. this had to have read a little bit as a throwback, even when it was new. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It doesn't help that the art here and don't get me wrong. The art here is better than the previous time we saw the cosmic Avengers. Yes, yes. It's it's um, perfectly serviceable. It's good. Perfectly serviceable. Serviceable. But and I think we'll talk about this in our next issue. Marvel is not picking its best artist for what if. What no, if is not no. a flagship title. So you're not getting your superstar artists. Like this the the, the artist here perfectly perfectly serviceable. I would say again he is better than the previous time we saw Cosmic Avengers, but it's not like ooh. It isn't the art, you know, that's setting the 90s on fire as it were. Right. Well, this this feels a little bit more sort of late 80s than early 90s. I feel like with the first couple of issues of this chunk of what if, like I said, there's that time capsule within a time capsule feeling. And then when I got to issue three of this five issue arc with the Wolverine Inferno thing going on that I said, now we're in the 90s. <laughs> I, I, I had to look up. As of this issue, when were these actually published? Because I'm like, okay, Todd McFarlane has clearly been on the scene. <laughs> oh, <laughs> before it's worse this than issue existed. We'll talk about it after the issue. But that's a good place uh-huh. to transition to, well, our next issue. So, Thomas, if you don't mind. Mm-hmm. So this Wolverine Inferno crossover written by Roy Thomas and Randy and Jean-Marc Lofficier with Mark Pasella as penciler. Dan Panosian and S. Montano as inkers, Janice Cheng letterer, Renee Witterstatter as colorist, and Craig Anderson editor. We get our opening exposition to this whole other universe we're being introduced to. The original premise, what if the X-Men became a bunch of vampires, and it originally resolved with Dr. Punisher the Strange. (laughs) (laughs) Shooting them all with guns anyway. (laughs) But in this Nexus event, Vampire Wolverine kills Dr. Castle, which almost sounds like a house slash Richard Castle crossover (laughs) TV show right there. Oh my god, that is like pinnacle (laughs) mid-aughts TV right there. Yes. Oh, I don't watch that. <laughs> and we get the the watcher, and the, we're up in our citadel where we get all of our pre and post <laughs> main story exposition. And the watcher is begging the keepers, saying that they've changed one nexus timeline, and that should be enough to safeguard them. And the keepers defend their actions with the fact that they are acting quote just to be on the safe side you understand (laughs) they also make it clear that they do not consider themselves good nor evil for their actions they only care about their own survival (laughs) which is clearly not a good nor evil stance to take and they do a pretty good job of covering up the fact that a long 
the exposition goes after this, but the keepers themselves don't, that a long time ago they put all of their chips on a mortise and have been paying for it ever since. Right. <laughs> That's right. what this is all really about. Right. They exercised bad judgment and are insisting that they will never do that again. Yes. <laughs> the keepers have this grand scheme to eliminate Jean Grey in a book called Wolverine. So we know this is not going to go well for them because <laughs> Wolverine and dare I say the writers have a huge hard on for Jean Grey. <laughs> so much Everybody so. Everybody like, does. Mr. Sinister, <laughs> Wolverine, yep. Yep. Cyclops. Oh, yeah. So we enter the timeline of the Inferno event in which Jean's clone, Madeline Pryor, who is now the Goblin Queen, Goblin Queen being shorthand for Dominatrix mode. Yeah. Although she yeah. dresses as though she were the bride of David Bowie, the Goblin King from Labyrinth, <laughs> yes. which is no relation to today's slang entering Goblin mode. <laughs> well done. Well done. Yes. Yeah. There is a comic where somebody says that phrase to Norman Osborne. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he just glares at them. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> He's the one who created that, darn it. It took military contractors <laughs> to formulate a goblin mode. <laughs> Kids just throw it around like it's nothing. So we open with Mr. Sinister openly declaring, Dracula has ruined all my plans, which I feel belongs with Marvel Dracula moments, such as Moon Knight being photoshopped to say, you know, <laughs> Dracula, you, you got, you big nerd, I know you have my money, right? Yes. <laughs> He's going to order pizza with that money. Yes. And it's also a great transition from the keepers and the watcher and their exposition dump, catching up all of the first-time readers into this event. Hi, that was me. Uh, <laughs> yes. The demon Nastir, who I'm just going to call Nasty, Yeah. Uh, <laughs> is teaming up with Madeline, along with another demon called Sim, uh, who both plan to betray her because they are demons. They are going to, along with so Mr. Sinister has a plan to... We, we just want to take over the world. We're all taking over the world. Same thing we do every night, Pinky, right? <laughs> and Sinister is on the hunt for Dr. Strange's old home on Bleecker Street. But the place is guarded by a group of youngins known as the Exterminators. And they are guarding uh, Strange's old home under Wolverine's orders... And this group of newsboys are known by the affectionately under the nicknames Rusty, Richter, Boom Boom, Skids, and Wizkid. Uh, they're mostly fodder to get murdered. But uh, let's see. Yeah, there's a line. I love this. There's a line on one page about perhaps even the mysterious Mr. Sinister has a few lingering qualms about fighting undead children. And then two panels later, he is stabbing <laughs> Rusty through the gut with a silver blade. <laughs> this is what compressed comics telling is. <laughs> yes. This is, we are doing an entire event that took... 18. How, ma- how many issues, James? Something like 18 or 20 issues. Yeah. And we're just going to compress it down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This should have been like one full issue... Sinister fighting the exterminators in the sewers. Yep. Yes. <laughs> so, Sinister's after some artifact that Doctor Strange has. We cut to Wolverine sitting on a throne. I guess he's 
Vampire King ever since they, they took out uh, Dr. Castle. And he's sitting on a throne. He learns about this Inferno event taking place because Madeline is summoning a whole army of demons with the help of her demon friends. And Wolverine makes this declaration as a young woman dressed exactly like Madeline Pryor, Goblin Queen Dominatrix, is crouching in front of him with a bowl of blood. So we already know where Wolverine's head is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, what would he do if he won the day? But he couldn't have Madeline or Jean. <laughs> is that He's supposed like, to be Kitty? Oh, like, quite possibly. Oh, oh no. God, no. Oh, like, it might just be some random human, you know, serving girl. Right. Human thrall, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it so, might also be Kitty. So he receives we don't word. See Kitty otherwise. Yeah. He receives word about the demon army and he calls out to a bunch of mutants, uh, including Iceman, Juggernaut, Magneto, Colossus, who are all striking, fist pumping, or Hulkamaniac poses, <laughs> while Wolverine shouts out, Let's party. <laughs> And they have some, let me call out the art here, they have some really nice double-page spreads of all the demon versus mutant fighting that goes on there. The demons are a hardy lot, as the narrator lets us know. The mutants mostly win, but there are a number of casualties along the way. Dormammu shows up to kill off Madeline's conspirators, and Madeline immediately accepts Dormammu's pitch. She just says, she says something like, oh, you convinced me. After he's he like, I see you're using an army of demons to take over the Earth. Why don't we use even better demons and take over the galaxy? She's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> so <laughs> he summons a bunch of, they look like juggernauts that all have Cyclops rays that shoot out of their heads. And he summons them from ones. a pocket dimension and they start fighting off the mutants and they do a really good job of it. And then... This is the point where I have to out myself as a librarian, because I got to this section of the story. Mr. Sinister refers to checking out the Darkhold text from Strange's library. (laughs) (laughs) And Wolverine, very nonplussed, is like, what's a book going to (laughs) do to make this situation better? Lamar Burton sweeps in. Yeah, and I'm like, all right, well, thank you, Roy Thomas, for (laughs) putting all this in the pro book stuff and also making the Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness suddenly seem more well composed Uh, I just remember seeing the movie and thinking wow we're just going to introduce an object called the Darkhold and we're just going to say it's super powerful and we're just going to (laughs) say it always existed and I'm like oh wait no it was in the comics okay I feel a little better about it oh yeah yeah. we've not covered the Darkhold stuff much it's come up occasionally but we're getting there yeah. So Sinister through the Darkhold is able to power up the vampire mutants some more so that they're a, a proper threat to the Dormammu demon army. So the fight begins anew. Madeline Pryor comes face to face with Jean Grey and they instantly know, like anyone who encounters their doppelganger, they will fight to the death right here and right now. <laughs> and th- this is where I feel like some sort of editorial fiat took o- over because Jean goes Phoenix mode and then wipes out Madeline as if she were a dry leaf in a forest suddenly aflame and again the artwork for that uh, I love the visual style where the the paneling turns sideways a bit Mm -hmm. 
and uh, it just fills up with like the red and yellow. And it's like you're in the Phoenix. Like Phoenix owns this comic now. Whatever aesthetic was here before with the demons and all the muscular Jim Lee-ish X-Men here, uh, Jim Lee-ish in terms of style, uh, now it's Phoenix's story. And so then she turns on Dormammu and you're like, okay, well, you know, Madeline Pryor, she's a clone. All right, you could say her powers were inferior or whatever. But now it's Dormammu, this, you know, all-encompassing demonic force, right? The light annihilates the darkness forever. Dormammu's gone. And then epilogue. <laughs> Sinister turns out he has samples of all the mutants and he's just going to clone everyone back into their pre-vampiric forms and everything can be just like the good old days. Wolverine is sort of hurried off stage. Wolverine exits pursued by Bear <laughs> with hmm. the Whisperer and will enter a, a, an exposition dump to come in future issues. And the Time Variant Authority again, retroactively making the Loki series suddenly seem much more coherent. They report <laughs> a time quake of 12.8 on the Simon Walt scale. Very apropos <laughs> name right there. <laughs> and I also like we are raising the stakes of like, okay, we know there's only so many issues left. Like, characters need to start acknowledging that the drama is peaking. So that, that's that's my report. Yeah, it's certainly an issue of comics <laughs> oh my god it oh was my god, a you guys. whole lot of 90s at once oh my god you guys this comic has everything it has vampires it has demons it has clones it has other demons it has the watcher <laughs> it has the tva it has dormammu it has timekeepers and back from her tour of the galaxy it has the phoenix force <laughs> yeah and i will say gene gray is drawn with at least like a drop of more dignity than Madeline Pryor and Madeline. Well, and I say that, but the, the ladies in this comic are always like, <laughs> just like opening their legs right toward the reader. <laughs> They're barely covered crotches. And I'm just like, okie dokie. <laughs> also, I'm pretty sure like vampirism has like added an extra vertebrae to every woman in this right. comic. An extra like, vertebrae and like doubled the length of everyone's, like shins and thighs, yeah. like everyone has like a uh, whole extra set of muscles in their legs. So we, we should probably talk about this. The art in this comic, I read this comic as a kid. I think this might have been my first issue of What If. It was either this one or What If Wolverine Had Married Mirako. But one of those was my first issue of What If. And like I had never heard of Inferno before. Um, the trading card set quickly solved me on that. So like, but as a kid, I did not realize how bad the art in this comic is <laughs> like the it's artist of its time. Yeah. He is clearly a, a, a student of the school of Liefeld. You talked about Todd McFarlane earlier. No, 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 no. <laughs> this guy is a student of yes. the, the school of Liefeld. Like, I don't think you see a character's feet. If the artist can avoid it, like for most of the issue, there, there is a point here where Colossus is just jumping and his feet just disappear into oblivion. <laughs> not like mist. Not like there's rubble in front of it. Just like his his legs just got to taper off. Yeah, and let me adjust my comparison to, to McFarlane <laughs> that if there was more McFarlane inspiration, there would have been a lot more capes and chains. I feel yeah. like the previous two issues had a lot more cape action going on in them. We'll talk about cape action later in the, in the <laughs> episode, actually. But like... 
also the artist doesn't even get the costumes of the era right because the there's a point where like we talk about the mindless ones showing up and cannonballs reacting and i'm like hold on a second again that's that's not how cannonball dressed back then no this is how cannonball dressed you know in the current stories for x-force but at the time he's still in like that really ugly new mutants outfit right they're all wearing the the yellow yeah the yellow and beige Oh, uh, well, a- even Cyclops changes from one X Factor uniform to another mid issue. <laughs> oh, you're right. He, he goes does. from the the white X to the yellow X. There's a during one of the big spreads of the big demon mutant melee. There's a moment of Rogue in midair where I thought she was in an interesting. She was framed interestingly. Like she looks like this feral animal just leaping mm-hmm. through the air. And I was like, which is okay. very much of that time. What Rogue kind of was. Yeah, mm-hmm. I appreciate it. I know it's not Rogue's story, but I was like, oh, I could have used like a page of her having a tussle with some demons. Yeah. Yeah. It would even have been interesting to do even just a a thought bubble or two of what the effect of being a vampire has on the fact that she also has Carol Danvers in her head. Yeah, right. Like, how do you even because that is Rogue? sort of a that is sort of a, a significant subplot in the original Inferno is that in any given issue, you're not sure what version of Rogue you're getting. Right. And again, how do you even infect Rogue with vampirism? How like do you bite her long right. enough to like, right, get her? She would just absorb the vampire's abilities, presumably. Oh, and that Sim demon of the two of them, his big goal is to get the sword of Ilyana. Yep. And be really powerful with that. But I remember um, my, my first exposure to Inferno was the 2019 Secret War. No, 2019, 2016 Secret Wars. 2016. Mm-hmm. And I remember like they were announcing all the different spinoffs. And, you know, I, of course, I didn't expect to be familiar with every last variant of a character. But they get to the Inferno one. And it's like, here's a dimension where Jean Grey is a dominatrix and everyone wears <laughs> leather. <laughs> yep. Nineteen eighty nine was wild. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah, and, and like the timeline doesn't work out either. Either like the whole p- time where like Wolverine would have been bit by Dracula in the early eighties, and right. like Inferno is the at the end of the eighties, and so this would have had to have been on it. Like he would have had to be gradually accumulating power for the better part of a decade. Yeah, even if we're doing compressed timeline, it's been a few months since he would turn vampire. But right. like the, the the narration is acting like this is the populace's first time realizing that the X-Men are all vampires now, mm-hmm. which doesn't really make sense because oh, yeah. they would have taken over the world by now. Yeah, the narration includes a line during the X-Men demon fight about, you know, no matter who wins, humanity loses. And like, yeah, to your point, it's like, well, given the state of affairs on the planet, like. Are, are they not just hunting humans for sport <laughs> by now? Yeah. You invoked Rob Liefeld. Would it surprise you to know that the same year that this issue came out, this penciler was also penciling issues of X-Force? Ah. Uh, Would not surprise ooh. me at all. At the I, time I, when Fabian Nicieza and Rob Liefeld were co-scripting, or at least yeah, co-plotting. That makes sense. Let's talk about the Phoenix Force here. There are a few points with the Phoenix Force here. First off, if we're going by, you know, like timeline, this would mm-hmm. be the first time we actually see Jean Grey possessing the Phoenix Force. Right. Because right. because previously her, it took her place. Yeah. Previously, according to X Factor, at least. And thank you, Kurt Busick. This 
would have been, you know, Jean Grey had to previously been replaced by the Phoenix Force, but this would be the first time we actually see the main actual Jean Grey being possessed by the Phoenix Force. And I'm surprised the Phoenix Force would want her in the first place, considering the fact that, well, she's dead. Um, right. No, it's also, a superpower. It's her super from Marvel versus Capcom that she can just <laughs> activate at will. Destroyed hope. So, what chance have you got? I mean, yeah, that's the way it's used here, actually. <laughs> um, but the again, funny thing, this is not the first issue of What If where we see in the Phoenix being used to solve Inferno. In fact, if we go back and look at What If the X Men had lost Inferno, which. What If Volume 2, Number 6. There you go. So, it's the same volume, even. But yeah. In that one, the Phoenix Force just wiped the Earth clean, and they started over. Yep. So, and also the the thing that this issue doesn't get at at all is that Rachel Summers is out there too. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, no, she she's a mannequin at this. Well, no, no, she wouldn't have been a mannequin yet. She would be a vampire, right? But presumably uh, also containing a portion of the Phoenix Force. Ah, ah. <laughs> this gets real complicated. Well, how much Phoenix Force do you need to wipe out Dormammu, you know, master of the demonic realms? Right. And you you can sort of no prize this as Jean Grey, the original human who had a connection to the Phoenix Force, is able to draw all of these disparate sources into herself for this right. attack. Like, if we want to get too many weeds, this, we can point out the fact, like, somewhere there is an infant Maya Lopez in the world. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but... God, remember Spider-Man had the Phoenix Force? That was weird. <laughs> that was real weird. I, I don't know. There's a whole lot else to say about this one. It, it, it's sort of a weird take on Inferno. It's especially weird that Dormammu shows up. <laughs> but well, I guess okay. because Strange was involved in the original vampire story, that connects. Well, and by 1992, in the context of this what-if event, but also... Marvel's later multimedia strategies, they knew we can do a big crossover full of different <laughs> mutants who have big character moments, but at the end of it, we're just going to pull Wolverine out and make him the big star of the show. <laughs> I mean, that is that is a very 90s choice to be like, Wolverine is the thing we keep from this world. And to be fair, during the actual Inferno crossover, both you and I, trade talked about how why is Doctor Strange not showing up here and getting right, involved? Right. Because he was dealing with his own, you know, demons invade New York storyline with Dormammu over in his books. Right. And so in a way, this does kind of make sense. <laughs> in the absence of yeah. Doctor Strange, Dormammu invades. Yeah, it, it does. So, yeah. Gene Grey goes, wait, you had to fight Dormammu like it's hard? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. So, to keep this time quake rumbling along, we should take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll look at What If Volume 2, Number 38, What If Thor Was a Thrall of Seth, right after these messages. Myers! Right. It's Myers, isn't it? <laughs> this Chicken has been pot a, pies? Uh, this yeah. has been a closer look. 
According to the latest report from falsifiedstats.com, 2.3 million new comic book podcasts are being created every single day. If you're looking for something a little different, then let me tell you about Mike's Comic Shop Roadshow. Mike travels the globe and visits comic shops along the way, like Murfreesboro, Illinois, and Liverpool, New South Wales, Australia. So check out Mike's Comic Shop Roadshow, a truly unique comic book podcast among billions of the same old, same old. Hear the sounds. Razor sharp adamantium claws make when they extract their revenge. They're here. Marvel's X-Men on Sega Genesis. System the game, so separately. Welcome back to Tomb of Ideas. Our next issue today is What If, Volume 2, Number 38, What If Thor Was a Thrall of Seth. Writer on this is Roy Thomas, penciler is Marshall Rogers, inker is Sam De La Rosa, the colorist Renee Witterstetter, and the letterer is Janice Chang. And we open, as with much of the Timequake storyline, uh, the Watcher confronting the Timekeepers. And at this point... The timekeepers are sort of one one, or I guess one two. They they've won one. They they took yep. out they took out the vision, but they did not manage to take out newborn infant Franklin Richards, nor did they manage to stop the vampire timelines version of Jean Grey. And so, their last sort of opportunity to try and and preserve their existence is to take out the Odin of a reality where Seth has managed to invade and take over Asgard. And so, Seth, of course, being Egyptian snake god of death, and the Watcher, being the Watcher, can do nothing but observe. And so, see Thor and the other Asgardians, Hogan the Grim and the Lady Sif, fighting against Seth's minions, trying to fight their way to Odin, Grog the God Crusher, takes most of them out. Atum. Atum. But that is the sound he makes as he crushes Sif's skull, which has to be the most ignoble yeah. death of a goddess I have ever seen. Yeah, it's pretty rough. And Thor fights his way all uh, up to where Odin is being held captive. He tries to snap Odin out of it, but Odin is himself in being controlled by Seth. Just then... Thor is rendered unconscious. He awakens in the dungeon of Seth's fortress, where Loki reveals himself to be in league with Seth. And just then, Grog drags in the the goddess Carnilla and chains her up next to Thor. There's some really unfortunate and dated suggestions of what Grog intends to do with Carnilla later. And essentially, Seth has declared war on all of the other pantheons. He's taking out the Asgardians. He will go after the Celtic gods next, and eventually the Greeks and, and Egypt and other other gods from there. So the various pantheons are meeting in council to figure out what to do, which for some reason Mephisto is invited to this grouping. I guess he's considered something like a god of death because he says he's worked it out with the other gods of death that they will look the other way while the pantheons stop Seth. He's been I mean, talking he's... it over with Pluto. Right. Yeah. 
I mean, he did kill my interest in Aspire titles for a long time, so there you go. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and so as the Pantheon resolves to go to war with Seth, we, we switch back to the Timekeepers and the Watcher, where one by one the Timekeepers are vanishing because of their failure to take out the next people. Yes. And so now we're down to one Timekeeper and one Watcher, keeping an eye on things. And just as Grog is going to the the dungeon to check in on Carnella, a wolverine appears out of nowhere and attacks and takes the keys to the dungeon. And Igron, one of the other minions of Seth, is in the midst of, I guess, planning to torture Thor when Thor uses the last of his strength to break his chains. And they get into a fight just then, a shadowy armored figure, along with someone in a green cloak, intervene and take out Igron. And the mysterious figures introduce themselves as Doctor Doom, Iron Droid, and Wolverine. None of which are the versions of the characters that Thor would be familiar with. Especially as Wolverine keeps using wrestling maneuvers to take yes, down his yeah. opponent. To the point, I was like, you can, you can just stab him. You don't have to. <laughs> you don't have to fight him to the ground first, <laughs> right? This is a yeah. very physical Wolverine. Lots of, of drop kicks and suplexes. My head cannon is like, like there, there's a point where he does like put like Loki in a sleeper hold, and right. like my head cannon is he definitely stabs him in the back there because of course he would. Like our regular Wolverine would have at this point, right? Our multiversal travelers reveal to Thor that the Whisperer whisked them away from their realities so that they can help save Thor's reality. And the Timekeeper finally starts to realize that there is this other figure manipulating events and that perhaps he needs to intervene more directly. Back in Seth's lair, Odin is hooked up to a machine that is draining his Odin power so that Seth can, can use it to take over the rest of reality, and presumably he is left... He has an agreement with Loki so that Loki will become the ruler of Asgard. Meanwhile, Thor and his multiversal companions fight their way into that chamber, and Seth summons a protectroid, which seems to be some sort of magical robot, which they fight. Doctor Doom tries to go toe-to-toe with Loki, but Loki is too powerful. However, Wolverine grabs him from behind, as you said, looks a lot like a sleeper hold, and being a vampire is much more of a match for Loki, and so Loki runs away, as Loki is wont to do. Meanwhile, uh, Iron Droid is being held in kind of a bear hug by the Protectroid until Iron Droid realizes that a loose wire hanging out of the, the robot's wrist gives him an opening, and so he overloads the Protectroid's systems and meanwhile, Thor throws his hammer past Seth and, and then recalls it, hitting Seth from behind. And then they oh. smash the machine, rescuing Odin. It was Seth Rogen. <laughs> so Odin We're- is saved. Uh, the timekeepers are seemingly thwarted. And uh, the mysterious whisperer reveals himself to be Immortus. Uh, and so, having preserved all of the Nexi, Immortus absorbs their nexus energy and transcends time and space to become the Immortus Wave. It's Immortus Uh, with the folding chair! (laughs) All of this is very troubling to the Time Variant Authority, who go into crisis mode, and 
try to figure out what to do since their manager is on vacation. To be continued. And the Immortus wave kind of announces itself as it's flying away from our multiversal heroes. Like, well, <laughs> bye. I'm going to go become <laughs> this all-powerful force. Yep. See ya. I'm, I'm, I am one with the multiverse now. Bye. While Wolverine just sort of stands in place going, we've been had. <laughs> <laughs> did, did I do that right? Like, I, I don't watch wrestling, so like... Yeah, yeah, no, that that was a perfectly appropriate place to to make a folding chair reference. Yes. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> and uh, perhaps the only way to defeat a vampirically immortal Wolverine <laughs> would be a chair to the back of the head. Uh-huh. And you know he's a vampire because he has big goofy fangs in every panel he appears in in this comic. <laughs> yes. If I remember correctly, he drinks like one person's blood during the issue. And that was like my little. okay. so he does actually do something vampiric. Like you're pointing out, James, like this could just be Wolverine. (laughs) Right, right. They don't really make use of the the vampire powers, except for when he threatens Loki. Yeah. Yeah. Like you could tell he's the vampire Wolverine because like the 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 little fins or like ears on his mask are a bit frayed. And that's the shorthand for he's a vampire. It was also the shorthand for when he was a demon in Inferno. So that's how you know this is an evil Wolverine. Because the 616 Wolverine stays impeccably groomed. Right. Yeah, there isn't really much to this issue until the multiversal team shows up. Oh, no. Oh no. Up to no, that no, no, point, no, 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 it's no, just no, kind no. of a standard issue of Thor. And the Thor comic wasn't all that good at this point. No, no, like, I'm pretty sure this comic is one of the reasons I thought I didn't like Thor comics as a kid. Like, I loved him in Avengers, but you want to yeah. read a, a story with Thor by himself? No, no, thank you. Does the Watcher feel like a million bucks after this story? Because for the past three issues, he's been told, like, you know, sit down, chump, you can't do anything. And now <laughs> these three torment of the three tormentors, one of them, there's no announcement to it. They just explode in a, a little flash of light going ah <laughs> yep. yeah yeah like yeah we have uh, the real masters of the universe here <laughs> plotting and scheming they, they're about as useful as the timekeepers in the loki series actually which <laughs> yeah. again, again yeah. shows how accurate the loki series was to the comics yeah um <laughs> Up to and including, you know, a Norse god confronting he who remains about keeping the timekeepers. I mean, creating about the creating the timekeepers. So that's okay then. But um, like it, this could have been so cool. This this could have been a really cool like mult like pantheon on pantheon war against Seth and like the the earth rumbles by the power by the war of the gods and mm-hmm. instead it's just like. Thor is in a dungeon. This dude who is called Grog, but looks nothing like Travis Willingham, is, you know, making crude references to rape. It's and is he right. related to Magog from the, the whole Kingdom Come um, continuity they, in DC? Is like, Gog, the god killer. I'm Magog. I'm the superhero killer. And, they, all, and later written by Jeff Johns, also a god. <laughs> they go to the same tailor. They go to the same table. Right. And, they, and they all to seem to be drawing on similar ideas. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, they, they, they both kill gods before um, Christian Bale made that not cool anymore. Right. 
Well, Christian Bale was sad to have been part of that whole affair. Right. <laughs> I had her. That is, doesn't surprise. Um, but it's, you know, when we talked about how, like, the Wolverine issue didn't feel like filler, this feels like filler. The, the, the first half exists solely to get to the point where you have the multiversal team show up as a team, and then you yes. have the, the twist of who the Whisperer is. That's the entire purpose of this issue, is functionally getting us to that point. Yeah, but you could have had, like, story proper start with Thor in the dungeon. In, and I right. just like like all of this set up with the Pantheon is going to go to war against set because that's not going to pay off. It's kind of wasting space in the issue. Yes, it's like and, if you set up Avengers Infinity War, but it ends with the bit in the train station where you go like, but now Cap's here and he's fighting again. Right. Right. Yeah. But it does feel like in the last few pages, things are picking up. And we are headed towards some sort of, of dare I say, endgame. Uh-oh. That's a loaded <laughs> term, mister. <laughs> yeah. So I guess that's me. Right. <laughs> so our next issue is our grand finale from July 1st, 1992. What if volume two, number 39. What if the Watcher saved the universe? And the writer on this one is... Okay, it lists David Cullen as writer, penciler, and colorist. Oh, that's not That's not what's in the inside of the book. Okay, that's what's in that's what's in Marvel Unlimited, the, the issue details page. Okay, what I've got is is writers Roy Thomas and Jean-Marc Lefissier. Oh, that's that's weird. So where's David Cullen coming in? I don't know. That He's not is, on this page at all. That is really weird. But anyway, we have in the comic, right? You're right. Roy Thomas and John Mark Levisier as writers. Gavin Curtis as our penciler. Ian Aiken with Don Hudson as our inker. Letterer is Janice Chang. Ed Lazillery La La is our colorist. And Craig Anderson is our editor we resume where we left off last issue oh um, yeah Tom for what it's worth three. i figured it out james david cullen wrote the backup oh 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 oh, oh yeah i forgot about the backup because it's one page it's a gag yeah okay sorry anyway we then oh, god marvel limited what the hell like why <laughs> would you list it like that that is wow okay sorry we re- pick up where we left off with the tva and crisis when one member of, I guess, the little drone staff goes to the TVA's waiting room. Yes, TVA has a waiting room to find the Watcher waiting there. And the Watcher has a meeting with the deputy secretary who, you know, I'm not sure if this is Mobius, but it's definitely based off Mark Greenwald. Right. He's unnamed at this point, but, but right. it seems pretty clear that this is the character that will evolve into Mobius and Mobius. Right. He's definitely a groom. Let's put that. Yeah. He's definitely a groom wall. He's a groony. Yeah, there we go. And they have a little bit of recap what's going on so far. Vision's dead. Odin was spared. Franklin Richards was spared. Jean Grey was spared. And the timekeepers are gone. And Immortius became a wave. And so 
the, the TVA and the Watcher realize that they have to do something in order to stop the Mortius wave because it's wiping out multiverse after multiverse. And so the TVA and Watcher decide to recruit Amortius's old team. Is it, am I saying it Amortius? Amortius? Amortius. 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 Why am I saying Amortius? Because I'm Morbius. Because I'm Morbius. That's why. Right. Yeah. yeah. Dang it. Okay, Immortus. Wow, me being a Kang fan too. All right, Immort. They they recruit Immortus' old team of Thor, who I guess is a little bit suckier than Six One Six Thor, Iron Droid, Doctor Doom, who of uh, the Fantastic Five universe, and Wolverine, who has picked up a snazzy cape in the meantime. Yep, he's gone full Dracula. He has gone full Dracula, and they have sent them to Limbo, where they fight the forces of Immortus, which includes an army of Ramatut robots, an army of space phantoms, and the giant Tempests. And somewhat unsurprisingly, they make very short work of the defenses of Limbo. Unfortunately, it's also Limbo, so the scene immediately resets as soon as they've defeated this army. And so the Watcher's like, okay, idiots, let's do this the right way. And so they go, we go to what is called Warlock's Earth, the far long future. And we find the very bored Nathaniel Richards, who just is like in his umpteenth viewing of the Marvel Cinematic Universe on Disney Plus, 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 Plus 2000. <laughs> And it's like, you know what? That looks like fun. And since I look nothing like, oh, Jonathan Majors, right. I'm going to go get go get involved with this. And so he visits his ancestors' old fortress, which you think that would be like, you know, secured in some way. And he's studying the place, and he has just found a time machine. But that is where the Watcher's plan comes into effect. At least it would be the Watcher's plan if the TVA hadn't gotten their fingers into it. And instead of sending the Fantastic Four team that the Watcher suggests, they send the Fantastic Four team of What If Volume 1, number 6. That, of mm-hmm. course, is the Fantastic Four team that got different powers than their 616 counterparts. And ended so, with Reed's brain being in Doctor Doom's body. That's important due to a problem I have with narration later, but we'll get right. to that. We have the Mandroid, Johnny Storm, Ultra Woman, Sue Richards, Ben Grimm, Dragonfly, and the former Big Brain, now Mr. Fantastic Reed Richards, who again, as you stated, is in Doctor Doom's body. They try to convince Immortus to let them inject him with some kind of symbi- I I read symbiote. And I'm thinking, oh yeah. my god, don't tell me Venom's getting involved here. It's a symbiont, not a symbiote. Yeah, 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 I get you now. But they're they're trying to convince Nathaniel Richards to let them inject him with this thing that'll make him not capable of absorbing the Nexus powers later on, thus changing the timeline, which, if in-game taught me anything, is not how time travel works in the Marvel Universe. They'd just be creating a new, separate timeline. But right, whatever. Right. Unfortunately... He thinks this is some kind of trick to get him to not, you know, claim his his mantle as the the master of time, which I mean it kind of is. 
he then unleashes the fortress of his robots against this version of the Fantastic Four and them being somewhat less experienced than other universes versions of the characters they are quickly killed flashback to the battle in limbo and the the iron droid is taken out by a ray from some space phantoms again we never see this dude's face we never learn his real name he's just he's just an employee of starks yep he's just a dude in some armor Doctor Doom is rather in, ignobly, I'm using that word a lot today, rather ignobly taken out by a dire wraith with a little yep. tongue through the eye action there. Right. The, one uh, of the few weak points in his armor is that there are eye holes. Which I, I know that like 616 Doom has found a way around by this, by this point, but right. apparently not this one. So that reduces him to a skeleton. So it just leaves Thor and even goofier fangs Wolverine. Like, he's <laughs> wearing he's gone he's gone full Dracula. He's got he's wearing novelty fangs at this point. He's uh-huh. got he's got like novelty fangs on top of his regular fangs at this point, I think. But it is those two alone against the armies of Limbo as reality resets itself. Realizing that those two cannot last long. The Watcher insists that it's now time for his original plan to be put in place. Thank you very much, TVA. And he sends Reed Richards and his rocket group, which our readers, our listeners will remember from our last issue, sorry, last episode, in which we looked at John Burns, What If Volume 1, Number 36, What If the Fantastic Four Had Never Gotten Their Powers? Um, right. Which, if any of our listeners need a recap of that, um, on an outer space advan- adventure, they were not hit by cosmic rays, and so the four would not change forever in the most fantastic ways. I understood but, that reference. Okay. Uh, and so, uh, the, apparently, they reset things too. So, like the the, the Reed Richards rocket group since gets sent back right to the same point where the Doctor Doom Fantastic Four had appeared just before, but. Mm-hmm. You know, by not appearing first as the TVA calls them, or I think the Watcher might call them, as superpowered freaks and freaking the thing of Richards out, which, I mean, if he's been watching a bunch of MCU films, I mean, that shouldn't freak him out. Right. I mean, it's almost like this guy doesn't remember having been Iron Lad when he was a kid. Almost. That, which is weird, because, like, you right. know, he had a girlfriend and stuff. But. I'll talk, I'll, I'll talk about a point they're going to fix that. I'll talk about a, I'll talk about where they're going to fix that, but in a second. Um, Who among us remembers a James Bond Jr., a young Indiana Jones? <laughs> yes. I mean, who among us was not a teenage superhero and then completely forgot about it? Like, right. Jesus. But the human Reed Richards is able to convince that basically convinced Nathaniel to calm the fuck down and you know ad- agree to a DNA test so of course Maury Povich comes in and they do some, they do some swabs and say Reed Richards you are You're the ancestor the, you are the temporal ancestor yeah and so seeing that you know this guy's family I can trust him which I'm not sure that's the way family always goes but okay well and Sue is like give me the needle I'll do it. <laughs> yeah, you know, hot blonde wants to give you a needle. You, you go for it. I mean, how? Right. I mean, how many times is that? How you get a tattoo? Let's be honest here. <laughs> so, 
he agrees to be injected, and so Immortus was never able to gain the powers of the Nexus being and never become the, ne- the Nexus Wave, or whatever he's called. And he also and completely s- forgets that he agreed to any of this. Yeah, yeah, so it doesn't fuck up Kang's timeline. Right. You're welcome, readers. And so time the timeline resets itself with only the employees of the TVA and the Watcher being aware. As a little end cap to this, it is revealed that the timekeepers that have appeared in the story up to this point are in fact the time twisters in disguise. When the actual timekeepers show up, they're like, hey, we never even employed Immortus in the first place. That was our evil counterparts. You could tell they're evil because they have facial hair, which is actually their old faces built away, but it looks like facial hair. We were responsibly doing nothing the whole time. It was Absolutely. these evil ones that you have to worry about. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> but don't worry. Even less than the Watcher. Don't worry. We're going to turn them into eggs. And, and we're taking the they don't, hatch. don't ask us what we're doing with them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's going to be a weird Easter this year, guys. But speaking of timelines resetting, I feel I'm being pulled back to my own timeline. Wait, no. What? Yes. Come back. Wait, but, wait, hold on. Tell our listeners where they can find you online. But if you look at a recent self-dust article about a silent voice, you'll find my recent writing. But you can also find me at Malak Amuk. Just one L. M-A-L-U-C-K. Amuk. A-M-U-C-K. Much like Duck Amuk in the style of a one Daffy Duck. On blue like sky. Wait, why am I fading away? No, wait. Oh, dear. <laughs> He's gone. Yeah. Oh, well, I guess the timeline reset. Yeah. Yeah. Is he an egg now? That I feel like he's odd. probably an he's probably an egg now. I hope huh. he's a duck egg. It's what he would have wanted. That that that's the way it would have gone. It really would really would have. Well, I mean, I'm kind of sad now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess. Like, we, we I can... mean, I, I I wasn't you know wild about you know sh- sh- sharing the show with him in the first place, but he kind of grew on me. Nice guy. It's fun. He knew his stuff. He's nice, but you know it's kind of weird meeting a multiversal co-host that you never heard about before. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Anyway, it's a it's a little bit like like when Loki goes to limbo in the Loki series, and there's like five other Lokis, and one of them's old, and one of them's a crocodile, and you know it's weird. Yeah. Yeah. Would he be like Duck Loki? I would totally read a comic about a Duck Loki. I mean, in Howard's university, if- he has to be a duck, right? Absolutely. I was about to say, if Steve Gerber were still around, I would ask him to write something about a Duck Loki. Now I want a Duck Loki. Anyway, yeah, this was a crossover. Yeah, and, and of course, after the, the Time Twisters become eggs, all of the, the Grunewalds in the TVA throw a party. Yeah, and it, oh, don't worry, it was all their idea in the first place. At least that's what they tell their manager. Right, right. Um, and, and the Watcher leaves before anyone tries to give him credit for anything. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I remember this crossover being a lot better. It's not bad. I, I think but, the problem is that it you don't really get the sense of the overarching story until basically two thirds of the way through part four. Yeah. So really, the, the crossover part of it is part of part four and then all of part five. They try to do it like a stealth crossover. Right. It, it's basically issues of what if. With bookend segments, and the bookend segments are the, the what are creating the continuity. Yeah, which I, which is an interesting way to do a crossover for an anthology series. And here's the thing: 
It's what the what if show did in season one. It is. They used the bookend segments to create the continuity. Yeah. I feel like maybe they did it better, though. They had more episodes. They had more episodes, but also they had just the build off of credit where credit is due. This is still a fun little crossover. And, And doing a multiversal crossover was kind of a new thing. Like this, you know, like it's one thing to yeah. do like like DC for years did Earth 2 and Earth 1 teaming up. And that that's that's its own thing. But to do this kind of thing where a bunch of one-off alternate realities crossed over, nobody had really thought about the multiverse in that way before. Certainly no. not at Marvel. No. Like, you know, like the JSA and the Justice League, of mm-hmm. course, that had team-ups for years over at DC when they were Earth 1 and Earth 2. Um but those but, were both like stable continuities that crossed over. Yeah. Yeah. Which if we know anything about, you know, the Marvel multiverse is much more chaotic. It is right. much less organized. Which is kind uh, of the fun of what if. Yeah. Is that you have all of these like about to explode realities that we pop into for an issue or two. Yes. And I honestly feel like the TVA is used fairly well here. And yeah, they, they were that was a fairly new concept at this point. They'd shown yep. up in Thor and maybe in Fantastic Four. Yeah. And God, who would have thought that they would show up in movies like a major TV show? Yeah. It's just so weird. Or that Owen Wilson would play Mark Grunwald. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. This oh, wow. <laughs> oh my gosh. And so well too. But <clears throat> it's and yes, they they had appeared in both Walt Simonson's Thor run and in Walt Simonson's Fantastic Four run. Yes. And it immediately made me like the TVA because this 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 visual of all these faceless dudes at desks had mm-hmm. me like incredibly intrigued as a tyke because I've talked about the huge box of back issues that was given to me as a child for a Christmas yep. gift. And I feel like these what if issues were what if issues were in there. Not mm-hmm. all of them. For example, I don't think I had the Thor issue. No, I didn't have the Thor issue. I especially think I because had, the issue, the the final issue, does enough recap at the beginning that you really don't need the Thor issue. <laughs> no, you don't. I had the Cosmic Avengers issue. I had the Wolverine issue, and I think I had this last issue. Yeah, um, but it for a kid, it did the job. Yeah, like, absolutely. Ooh. I'll tell you, I had the opposite experience in that I don't think I read a single issue of What If as a kid. However, however, I'm a big fan of Elseworlds. Okay, fair, fair. And so, being someone who grew up loving Elseworlds, I dig the vibe of What If. Yeah, yeah. See, like, I had a newsstand. I For a brief moment, I had a comic shop. I, oh. I, I've talked, just talked about this before. Yeah. It was attached to my dad's very bar. Um, but they became a video rental place. Slowly, you know, slowly the comic shelf got pushed further and further back until there's more and more videos. The volume was the video place. And then it became the dining room for the bar. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I had a comic shop for a little bit, but I also had a spinner rack at the local gas station. So, yeah, I got issues like these. I got what if Wolverine had married Mariko? I got I I I got the first Spider-Girl issue yeah. as a kid. You know, what if the the daughter had survived? I got what if. And now you have a more recent reprinting of that. I do. Thank you very much for that lovely history. (laughs) Uh, 
signed by the creative team. <laughs> I really, really appreciate that, especially considering that I no longer have the original issue. So thank you. Mm-hmm. I had uh, the one where Colossus forms his own Fantastic Four because he became a cosmonaut. Right. And right. the one where Carnage. Which that always seemed um, weird to me because obviously the cosmonaut Fantastic Four are Red Ghost and his super apes. We don't talk about them, Trey. But, <laughs> and like, what if Carnage had absorbed a Silver Surfer? Right, right. So, but like, I always Carnage love. Cosmic. Yeah, I always love What If. I love the What If TV series. Mm-hmm. Like, The Watcher is fantastic oh, it's great. in it. It's really is. Oh, Jeffrey Wright. Oh, I still love him so much. Yep. And season two, just as good as season one, I think. I agree. I agree. All you Captain Carter haters can suck it. Yeah. Yeah. You can, yeah. You can suck it. But I love what if and i think part of it is this crossover like mm-hmm. as an adult i can realize that some of this is a little eh, and sure especially the art and some of it sure well it's a mixed bag in that in that it's the 90s early 90s and because it was the what if title it feels like this was the title that was kind of a tryout space for artists who weren't established yet because I'm as we've been looking at these credits, I've been going into the Marvel wiki and like clicking on the pencilers to see what else they did. Mm-hmm. And it would be like they'd do a run of like 10 random Marvel issues around that time. And this was one of them. So yeah. it does feel like they were trying things out. Um, and, it, and so it making, wasn't always polished. No, they're making it clear that what if is not an A game title. It is. It's it's a it's a B tier book. But also just to. Just to suggest a few things that that are, are key here, if not for Timequake, and what if more broadly, but I think especially Timequake, I don't think you get the Captain Britain Corps. Nope. I don't think you get the Council of Reeds. Nope. I don't think you get Spider-Verse. Nope. I don't think you get the Jonathan Ickman Secret Wars. I don't think you get Exiles. Absolutely. Exiles is totally the evolved form of Timequake. What if there was a multiversal... Avenger slash X team. Right. And guys, don't worry. This is not going to be the last time we talk about what if on our show. Oh, no. There there are plenty of what ifs that involve monsters, vampires, weird, kooky stuff that we like to talk about. And honestly, as we made the argument on the show before, all what if stories are Marvel horror stories. Oh, yeah. If you you want to think about it, like uh, time is the rare one that has a happy ending. Exactly. And listeners, I, I, I don't know how you I mean, times I have to tell you that like Trey has restrained me from just making this show a, Mar- a Marvel what if show, partially because <laughs> there is already one of those out there talking about there, what there. if. Yeah. And so we, our, we're content to dip our toes in it. Yeah. D- dipping the toes. And if you do want more what if, our friend Shag Matthews, who mm-hmm. has appeared in our actual play episode, his podcasting network, the Prolific Fire and Water Network, they recently put out an episode of Once Upon a Geek where he and Chris Franklin looked at what if volume one, what if Uncle Ben had lived and what if Rogue possessed the power of Thor from volume two, number 66. So after these issues, Yep. So if you want more what if it's out there and we will talk more about what if as well. For sure. Uh, but don't For worry. Sure. I actually, in advance of us doing time quake, I made a list of what, like five to 10 other issues we could have talked about. <laughs> yeah. We almost just honest to goodness did a 
what if grab bag rather than right. just let's In, just do instead a cloud we quake. just pretended to do a grab bag. No, no, trade ever that was the randomizer. You promised oh, right. me that was the yes. randomizer. Yes, it was the randomizer. It malfunctioned. Uh, okay. Yep. No, no, no. That, it, it it was the randomizer, and Santa is is real. And yeah, and, that's the randomizer uh, Easter Bunny gave you. And 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 your pet goldfish is at a farm upstate. Hmm. We should visit Goldie sometime. Can we visit Goldie? <laughs> the farm does not allow visitors. Oh, damn! It. I should have named the goldfish Namor. Anyway, Uh <laughs> <laughs> oh, but it's a fun crossover. For what it is? Yeah. You know, no, it, I, I think. You, you, I, I said this, I think, before we recorded, but if you go in knowing that it is a 1992 Roy Thomas story, <laughs> you get what you pay for. And that's not, yeah. I don't mean that as a slight. It, it, it is, it is exactly the story I would expect Roy Thomas to tell over five issues in a what if comic. Right. And to its credit, like part of you is kind of disappointed that you don't get the huge epic battle with the multiversal champions, you know, saving the day. But, you know, and I think this is the point of Roy Thomas is making is you don't always need the hugely powerful superheroes to save everything. Sometimes it's just the humanity of the characters shining through that can change the world. And and the, the watcher is in such a unique position to be like, I've been looking at all of this and I see the point at which a change can be made. Yeah. Yeah. Now, to be clear, the whole thing where he goes like, oh, you're trying to trick me from like being the ultimate power in the universe. Eh, there was a better way to do that. Yeah. Uh, for example, because yeah. like because when later, you know, Reed does the, you know, the Maury Povich DNA test to say, like, right. I am the ancestor. He should have done that. That should have been the tipping point for Nathaniel Richards earlier. Uh, mm-hmm. He's like, you say you're my descendant, but I, I just had my systems do a DNA check on you, and we are not related. And or are because, they? Because it's Reed Richards and Doom's body. And I say again, or are they? Be- yes. And the, the reason to say, or are they, is because in a narration, they talk about Reed Richards built himself a new robotic body, which we know is not the case. Right. Because... He just body jacked Dr. Doom. Right. You can see the skin behind the mask. Yeah. Yeah. Although apparently he's given Johnny skin now. So mm, that's true. He, yeah. He, he's just handed out skin left and right. But no, I, I guess the point I was making is that Marvel has never definitively established, as far as I know, whether Kang and Doom are actually related or not. And OK, so apparently Burn, I looked this up on the wiki on 1984, says that. Kang, the thing Richards is a descendant of Reed Richards' father, the thing Richards. Right. But you can make the argument that somewhere in the timeline. They might have intermarried. Yeah. Yeah. Which, considering how, you know, interlocked Doom, the Doom fam, Doom and the Richards family are right now. Because. With Valeria. I was about to say, he's he's basically a godfather to, to yeah. the daughter. And, you know, there's the whole thing about apparently Kristoff is a Doom kid. No, sorry, he's yeah. a, is a Nathaniel Richards kid. Right, right. Oh, Something like that. that. That's weird. Um, um, but, you know. I will also just point out that Reed as Doom in the, the blue version of the Doom armor looks an awful lot like Doom 2099. 
He does. Like right before Who Doomsday also wears Night, the blue stuff. cloak. Yeah. He's he's obviously upgraded the the armor in some ways. At the same time, he still hasn't given himself a pair of pants. Right, right. He's still wearing the the long tunic slash skirt thing. Yeah. Which you know, I guess if you're wearing like metal armor underneath it, I suppose. But like an outfit like that, you gotta have the legs for it, right? <laughs> but but yeah, no, I I I felt the same sort of way with with the the Reed as Doom claiming the the familial connection, and to the, the point the, that, where that just it rang weirdly in the issue. Yeah, to your earlier point, you know, without this story, we don't get Secret Wars mm-hmm. or. The current Marvel multiverse, in my opinion. Oh yeah, yeah. Like the one in the films that we're seeing. Oh, for sure. Yeah, we don't um, get like characters jumping back and forth, especially post Endgame, where the multiverse has become so prominent in things. Yep. Like like getting to see yeah. a version of the Patrick Stewart Xavier interacting with Doctor Strange and and Scarlet Witch, or yeah. or seeing spoilers Hank McCoy interacting with. Monica Rambeau. Yeah. But interesting enough, you know, this storyline carries on in not in what if, but right. it carries on into one of my favorite Avengers stories. And that, of course, is Avengers Forever, where mm-hmm. Abortus basically gets his revenge on the timekeeper with the aid of some Avengers, kind of. Yeah. And, and even I mean, we want to keep pulling the thread all the way up to basically the present as we are recording Avengers Twilight, the Chip Zdarsky comic that's currently coming out is I'm pretty sure involves some sort of interdimensional or multiversal version of the team. Yeah. So there you go. And time quake is the cornerstone in which it was all built. Yeah. So, yeah. And even if we want to go back further, like the first person to explore the multiverse of the Marvel universe was Roy Thomas. I would yeah, I think so. Yeah. Because he gave us the Squadron Supreme. That's true. He sure did. He gave us Squadron Supreme. He gave us alternate Fantastic Fours. Mm-hmm. And eventually he gave us what if. So, you know, thank you to Mr. Thomas. Yeah. We as, the show. as someone who is not burned out on multiverses the way some people seem to be. Yeah. Weird. I, I I'm thankful for that corner of weirdness in both the Marvel and DC universe, because frankly, Roy is one of the people who sort of helped preserve the DC multiverse, too, with things like Infinity Inc. and the JSA. Yeah. I, again, I don't get the people who don't like the multiverse. I personally am a huge fan of infinite diversity and infinite combinations. Yes. So. Yes. I, I, I will say I, I agree that not every superhero story needs to be a multiverse story, but no. I do enjoy when they happen. Yeah. It's kind of a little nugget for the fans, honestly. Mm-hmm. It's a little reward fans. Like, hey, you remember this thing, right? You've gone a little differently. A little differently. It's it's fun. And it's, it's a way to explore other possibilities without explicitly retconning things. Yes. And you never know when something that, you know, you look at as a possible exploration becomes something you want to go on with. For example, oh, yeah. the idea that the spirit of 1776 and then later the Patriot each took their own um, run as Captain America post-World War II started in an issue of What If? And it's now part of the canon. Or as you mentioned, Mayday Parker, 
who got yep. her own long-running title, which spawned an entire separate universe of other interconnected books. We should definitely talk about MC2 at some point on the show. I mean, Dark Devil, right? Dark Devil. Like, right. We, we, we'll get Dark Devil on. You know, let's ask, you know, let's talk to Tom DeFalco. He seems like yeah. a nice guy. He does. He does. He. I can't remember if I told this story on mic or not, but I took a copy of the very first Fantastic Four issue I ever read as a kid to Heroes Con, which mm-hmm. was from the DeFalco run. It had a holographic cover. <laughs> oh, boy. And it was from a period of time where Reed was missing, presumed dead. And the the team was effectively Sue Storm with the cutout window on her chest. Um, and a gun. And a gun. Yep. Johnny. I'm blanking on her name. Not Alicia, but the scroll that pretended to be Alicia. Lyra. Lasia. 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 Laser fist. Yeah. So Sue, Johnny, Lasia, Namor in a business suit with a ponytail. Yeah. Is mid nineties. Nineties. Yeah. <laughs> and Ben Grimm, right? Yeah. Those five are your Fantastic Four. But I took this comic to Tom DeFalco, and, and I told him this was my first ever issue of Fantastic Four as a kid, and he looked at it for a second, and he looked at me, and he said, "Well, how'd that go for you?" <laughs> well, you know, this, is, this has been fun, Trey. This has been fun. We should talk like this more often. Yeah. There, wait, wait. Was there somebody else here earlier? I feel like. There's an issue that neither of us summarized, and yet we talked about it. Oh, yeah. We didn't talk about the Wolverine issue because we talked about that on the issue with Powers. Right, right. Yeah, so, so, yeah, uh, we'd already covered it. Yeah. Yeah. So we're good. Yeah. We're good. We're just sort of a, a momentary brain fog or whatever. Yeah. Although, if we had had a guest on for this episode, we mm-hmm. should probably, we, I mean, we would have had to thank him profusely for coming on. Right, right, because it's always a pleasure when we can have other people on to join us to discuss comics like these. Yeah. <laughs> Especially when they're knowledgeable and have a history of writing and podcasting and presenting about comics and, and related media. Yeah. And, you know, especially if, you know, we had actually asked them to come on for an earlier episode. And we had to they, reschedule. We had to reschedule. And yeah. we'd already asked them to come on last minute in the first place. And right, right. so re- that would have been really nice of them. To, right. So so uh, if on. any of that had been true, we yeah. would we would profusely thank them from the bottom of our hearts for, uh, for agreeing to be a part of the show. Bottom of our hearts. But since that isn't the case, we should probably tell our listeners where they could find us. You know, right. if you want to reach out to us and tell us what your favorite issue of What If was, if you read Time Quake as a young tyke. And didn't realize how bad the art in the Wolverine issue was. <laughs> Let us know. You can reach out to us at tombofideas at gmail.com. Our our social medias, we're usually at Tomb of Ideas. We're on Blue Sky. We're on Instagram. We're on the site formerly known as Twitter. Yeah. Sure. Here. I guess Actually, we still have an account. Yeah. In this, re- in this reality, it used to be known as Twitter. You know, there's some place in the multiverse where Elon Musk never bought it. And it's still a thriving social media network. That must be nice. Super nice. Yeah. Um, but we should pull a Tashi R and go back there. <laughs> yes. Although that um, didn't work out for her. Never mind. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Romulans. Romulus. Goddamn Romulans. Anyway, this isn't a Star Trek co- podcast, although we have talked about Star Trek before. We have. And probably will and again. could again. Could again. <laughs> Almost certainly. Um, and, you know, actually, Trey, uh-huh. there are star trek x-men crossovers Ooh, there are actually three of them there's star trek and t there's the the t the x-men being the tos crew 
Right. And, there's right. The, and then, hold on, the, they meet the TNG crew twice. Ooh. Ooh. Once in comic and once in a novel. That sounds fun. And I've never read the novel, but I hear it's actually pretty good. That sounds very fun. You want, let's just do that next episode. Sure. Yeah. I mean, the so the, the novel is Michael Jan Friedman. Okay. That, that, that's a sign of quality. Who wrote a bunch of good Star Trek stuff. Okay. So what do you say next episode? We talk about the comics and then the episode after that, we talk about the novel. Hey, that sound that sounds like, that sounds like a good plan. But of course, between now and then, if you want to check out any of our back catalog, you can find us on Cinepunks.com. That's Cinepunks with an X. All our episodes are there. You can also find other shows like Cinema Smorgasbord, Twitch of the Death Nerve, The Carnage Report, and much, much more. That's Cinepunks.com. And of course, I don't say this enough, but if you get a chance, if you feel so inclined, Give us a good rating on your podcatcher of choice, whether you're on iTunes or, or whatever else you use. Just just give us that five star thumbs up, whatever. It helps other people find the show. It sort of helps with the algorithms, which I don't even pretend to understand. I just know that good reviews matter. So please, if you have a chance, take a few seconds and, and click that rate review button. All right. Well, in that case, until next time, two believers. Bye bye. Bye. Hey. OK. Where, yeah. where where did this duck egg come from? <laughs> That's weird. Hey, you like omelets? Ooh, we have any, like, Canadian bacon? Ew, never mind. You have been listening to the Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel Horror Podcast. Until next time, Tomb members... Excelsior! <laughs>before you start recording, I'll uh-huh. put this a little bit at the end. I actually figured out that I was wrong when I previously stated that this was the only extended storyline in what if. Oh, is if it want, is it not? Yeah. Well, if you want to get technical. Some stories carry over to the next issue. Oh, okay. They do like a two-part. Yeah. So, like, there's one for, like, what if Spider-Man didn't marry Mary Jane? Uh-huh. And then the next issue is what if Spider-Man married the Black Cat? Oh, and it just picks up where the other left off. Picks up where the other left off. And then... But that's all in one reality. I think it's fair to say that this is the rare storyline that crosses through issues of what if and also crosses across realities. Yeah, yeah. There's also an Avengers what if where like a two-parter for what if the Avengers lost Galactic Storm, which Mm -hmm. goes, the first issue is them losing Galactic Storm, and then the second issue is the aftermath. Gotcha. So almost sort of like the the two Wolverine vampire issues, but like if they were sequential rather than separated by years. Yes, yes. So, you know, I was wrong. I don't think you're wrong i think you you are adding nuance to the discussion okay that's good because i i'm never wrong <laughs> we podcast podcasters can't be wrong we have microphones exactly